Hello and welcome to the very first Black Label episode of the Cinema Australia podcast. My name's Matthew Eels. Uh, we've decided to make this episode special and uh, not a continuation of our previous episodes because this one stands alone in terms of theme. Uh, we're not discussing a new Australian film but instead speaking with an Australian filmmaker about his incredible career. Our guest is Alex Proyas, uh, whose filmography includes The Crow, Dark City, Garage Days, and his debut, Spirits of the Air, Gremlins of the Clouds, which was nominated for two AFI awards at the time of its release. When I was 15, I remember sitting in my room writing a list of people who I would love to interview, and Alex Proyas sat at the top amongst others, so you can imagine how much of a thrill this interview was for me. Uh, before we get started, I should let you know that Alex told me firmly but fairly at the beginning of the interview that uh, he wouldn't be discussing The Crow. He told me that it's not something he talks about for obvious reasons and that he was happy to discuss anything else. Anyway, enjoy. Okay, Alex Proyas, uh, welcome to the Cinema Australia podcast. Uh, thank you for joining us. Hi there. Uh, I want to start at the uh, very beginning. Uh, your parents moved to Australia from Egypt when you were very young. Uh, what are some of your memories of growing up in Australia? Um, we came here uh, when I was three and uh, I was born in Egypt, um, as, as my parents were. Um, and we moved into a uh, housing commission flat in Waterloo in Sydney. Um, and uh, the um, being an only child, I was uh, I was actually let loose with a Super A camera at a very young age, which was um, uh, which was nice of my parents to uh, to buy me one for a birthday. I think it was. Um, so I started making films when I was actually um, ten, and um, you know, this is before video was was available, and you could make films on your phone um so i had to i had to save up my pennies and buy super 8 film and then shoot it and send it off to uh to the lab in melbourne and two weeks later get it back and i could project it um and uh but uh, it was uh it was a fun time in that respect that's fascinating um uh what can you remember what uh, what film it was that you watched or a tv series that inspired you to want to do this um, I, I I saw a few films when I was young. My my, my parents loved going to the movies and um, and the drive-in as well. And it was a it was a time when you could see uh, you know you could go to the drive-in and see two or three movies. You know, mind you, the first one would would often start when the sun was still up and you could barely see what was going on on the screen. Um, <laughs> but um, they 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 sort of you know. They, they packed it in in terms of the number of films that I saw when I was when I was young, just because they loved movies so much, you know. And um, this is sort of during the the seventies, um, uh, and you know, I actually happily coincided with with what I still think is the the greatest single decade in 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 Hollywood movie making, um, and actually in 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 movie making worldwide, strangely enough. Uh, so I, I was very lucky to see some some wonderful films um, from that era, you know, starting with movies made in the late '60s, like you know, 2001: Space Odyssey, and, and um, uh, then seeing all you know the Godfathers and the and and uh, all the great movies of the '70s, and 
so I grew up assuming that that was the standard of of movie making that that's what I had to sort of live up to um, and uh, sadly I'm now living in an era where that's no longer the case uh, where where movie making has um has uh, taken a very much a, a, a you know a ste- many steps backwards commercial movie making um but as I say I was lucky to grow up in that era of, of great of great movies. Uh, you then went on to study at uh, Afters. Was it during Afters or, or after that you started directing music videos for bands like Crowded House, In Excess and uh, Fleetwood Mac? Uh, well, I started making music videos for friends in bands. I had a lot of friends in bands when I was at, at the film school. Um, and uh, I was also myself uh, in, a, in a band and quite music musical, I suppose. Um and uh, so that that's something that I did very much, you know, professionally after film school because uh, there was not a, a, a lot of opportunity for employment as a as a film director in 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 Sydney at that time. Um, you know, you had to sort of start off somewhere. You you couldn't just you couldn't really write scripts in the hopes of making them or or or, or, or go and you know, watch great filmmakers making their films. There were so few, few films being made. Um, uh, so I, I uh, embarked on making music videos and then subsequent to that, making commercials uh, just because it was, the, you know, the, 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 way, the way to get to make features eventually. What was your time? Well, how did you feel making uh, TV commercials? I spoke to a young director recently who actually, you know, said to me that it was almost uh, soul crushing to be making commercials when you wanted to be making feature films. What was your experience like making the commercials? How did you feel about it? Oh, I, I think it was it was wonderful at the time. I, 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 that's definitely not not the way I would describe it. Um, I mean, eventually it became arduous after years of doing it um, to be dealing with the same, seemingly the same group of agency people who had never shot a, a, a bit of film in their lives who were trying to tell you what to do. But, but initially it was, it was great, as were music videos. Um, you know, music videos in particular uh, at the time, this is in the, you know, in the fairly early days of music videos, no one really knew what a music video was supposed to be. And um, so as a filmmaker, you could pretty much do anything, you know, because no one knew what rules you were, you were breaking or not. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that respect, it was, it was great fun. And commercials, I ended up doing commercials because I'd done music videos. The agencies and the clients saw my work as a music video maker and gave me work as, as a commercial maker, and they wanted that same... Uh, stylistic approach that I'd established in music videos. Um, so, so you know, I was pretty much given free reign in, in both of those those areas, and people people sort of tended to leave me, let me do my stuff. You know, so I, I had great fun doing them. You know, and they were they were it was a great training ground for, for features as well. I bet it was. Uh, do you get the opportunity to watch many uh, video clips nowadays? Uh, how would you describe, uh, you know, the music videos of today compared to back then? Um, I, you know, I, I occasionally tune in and watch videos now. I, I still think there's some pretty good work done. I mean, it's uh, it still seems to be a, a, a an area that people can experiment with. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's what it should be. It, it's kind of replaced experimental film in, in many ways. And um, I still think people are doing good good work in it. It's um, 
it's often tied in with the music, you know, uh, for, for obvious reasons and, and whether or not the music is, uh, is, is able to be interpreted in, in, an, in, in an interesting way. So that's always been the case. So if, if the track is a commercial, poppy, dance, dance track, there's only so much you can do as a filmmaker and therefore the videos are not that interesting. Um, if the, if the music is, lends itself to being, uh, to, to, to being more, more experimental, then, then the videos can often be really intriguing. Uh, when I uh, read through some of your afters alumnus like uh, Jocelyn Morehouse and Jane, Jane Campion, uh, who both went on to create some amazing films, I wondered uh, what the mood was like at the time amongst your peers. Was everyone dying to shoot off to America to make movies or was there a desire amongst some of your peers to stay at home and uh, create local content? Oh, I, I don't think I, either of those cases. I think people were just happy if they, if they got to make a movie, so they would be happy to do it under any circumstances. Um, I don't think we were that, um, we were that analytical or that uh, pre-planned, premeditated with our thinking. You know, I think that's something that is, you know, you're very much talking about a, a more modern viewpoint of <laughs> of film students and making movies that, that's true actually that's true uh, you know I do interview a lot of uh, first-time filmmakers and and people making their debuts and and it almost feels like once once they've made their movies that's it they shoot off and uh, head over it, to America it's a, it's a very different world that we live in now and I've had I've had so many young filmmakers uh, come to me and say well you know because it worked for you I'm doing exactly what you did which is I'm making music videos and commercials and then I'm going to go and get an agent in America and I'm going to make a movie in America. And, and my response to that is, well, just because it worked for me doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work for you. I mean, you have to find your own path and, you know, it's a very different situation we're in now. Um, so so you, you need to explore your own original way of getting where you want to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, your first feature film was Spirits of the Air, uh, Gremlins of the Clouds, which is impossible to track down, by the way. Um, almost every Australian film released over the last few years has been from a filmmaker making their debut. So I'm sure some of them would love to know what your overall experience was like making that film. Um, well, the Aussie movies, um, <clears throat> you're, you're quite right, a lot of them are by first time filmmakers um and therefore so many of them disappear off the face of the earth uh you know that's not that's not an uncommon scenario you know spirits is hard to track down partly because i've ended up having all the rights and you know it's something that i do eventually want to re-release but i'm i'm sort of biding my sweet time about when i do that I, i guess you know um but uh, you know, look, we made spirits with um, you know a, a, a couple of bucks, basically. I don't remember what the actual budget was, but it was a very low budget movie to the point where we, you know, on many takes, I couldn't. You know, and again, we were shooting in, on film in those days. I couldn't afford to shoot more than a single take of a scene uh, because I just didn't have the film stock. You know, so that's how lean an operation we were um we we shot the movie and got through the editing process 
asking for a lot of favours from people, um, and then we had to raise more money to to uh, to finish it. You know, so this was like you know crowdfunding before crowd crowdfunding actually existed, I suppose. Um, so so you know that and in, and in those days it was much harder to do that. Of course, now it's a lot easier because as as we've already said in this interview. You can make a movie on your phone if you really want to make a movie. I mean, the the, 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 the you know the, those limitations have been stripped away. You can cut it on your on your laptop. You yeah. know, you don't have have to um, to uh, to hire editing rooms and expensive equipment and pay for expensive film stock. You know, so at least that part of the equation has allowed it to be easier for people to to make movies. Um, the 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 releasing of a movie, of course, is no easier and never has and, and never will be and probably is more difficult now than ever before because you know that it's 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 very hard unless you self-distribute the movie on on over the internet or something like that it's very hard to sell a movie to uh to to someone uh to a distributor and get that movie get that movie out there you know it's becoming increasingly difficult to do that so you know what what becomes easier on one hand has become more difficult on another hand and and so you know I, I think filmmakers will always have a struggle to to get that that first movie made you know I think the mistake a lot of filmmakers make if I could pinpoint a specific uh, uh, problem I see is kind of going back a little bit to the question you asked me a moment ago which is I see a lot of filmmakers young filmmakers trying to effectively make a show reel to impress a Hollywood studio to give them a big movie, which yes. I think is the worst <laughs> fucking thing you could ever do. Yeah. It's, it's, it's sad, actually, that people do that mm. because what that completely undermines their artistry and their original voice, and that's surely what a filmmaker should be trying to achieve is to tell a story that only they can tell to make a movie that is, a, is that, that has something original and fresh and new about it. Um, and the, the, the whole notion that you would make a, a, a sort of mock Marvel comic movie or something like that to, to impress a studio executive seems kind of the anathema of the artistry of filmmaking to me. So I would urge people to avoid that at, at all costs and, and focus on making something you know, it's hard. It's hard work making a movie, any movie, at whatever budget range. Yeah. And because it's so hard, concentrate on a story that you want to tell. That's something that is important to you. You don't have to have written it. I mean, you can also find a story that you like that someone else has written. But but make it a story that you really have a vested emotional uh, need to tell. I think that's that's the the, the most important thing. Well, thank you for saying that, Alex, because uh, I feel uh, the exact same way. So that's, that's good to hear. Um, uh, after you made The Crow, your next film was going to be Casper. Is that right? Yeah, actually, in the, in, in the uh, post-production of The Crow, I got a phone call from none other than Steven Spielberg, right. <laughs> who wanted to meet with me. And um, he hadn't seen The Crow He because he, um, we were still editing it. But he'd seen all my commercials and videos, and he really liked my work based on on that stuff. And he, of course, knew about the crow and 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 and, uh, and, and all that. Um, so I went along and met 
Stephen, and uh, I, I, he sent me a script. Of, I, I knew what the project was about. Actually, I don't think he had sent me a script. I think he he told me what the he told me what the project was. Mm. You know, Casper the the friendly ghost. Okay, <laughs> um, which to me seemed like the weirdest sort of combo of a director and material you could ever come up with. But <laughs> this was, of course, Steven Spielberg, so I had to pay attention. So I went and met with him. And he was very charming, and uh, but I did say to, say to him, um, uh, "Look, you have to understand that uh, you know if I ma- if I get involved with this project, I'll be making Casper the not so friendly ghost." Um, I, 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 I understand that it's a kids' movie, and and I, I like kids' movies. I mean, Wizard of Oz is one of my favourite movies, but I will be bringing out the dark aspects of the story. Um, and he said, "Yes, absolutely. That's what that's what they wanted. That's why they were talking to me." And he subsequently saw that I screened the crow for him, which he loved. Um, and so I I was was uh, was seduced into into uh, um, making this this film. And and I went through quite a great deal of the pre production. I think we were six weeks away from shooting, but at that point, I'd gotten to. Uh, to a point where I really, I really understood that he didn't want to let me make Casper the not so friendly ghost. He wanted to make something that was very a little bit too too um, too G rated for my for my uh, for my liking. So I, I stepped away from the project at that time. So uh, and so thankfully uh, you went on to uh, direct Dark City. Um, yeah. So tell us a bit about Dark City because you wrote, directed, and uh, produced the film. Was, was it all was it all done your way? Uh, until yeah, until we until the editing process where it went uh, where it went horribly wrong with the with the studio, <laughs> the studio. and so the the the, um, the theatrical cut was not one that I that I uh, that I wanted to release. I, but we have actually released the, the director's cut in. Uh, in in the wake of that, having done, having had the film uh, re- achieve so much uh, success on on videos, um, and the and the director's cut is very much the movie that I set out to make. Um, but um, Dark City, I wrote actually, I actually wrote it before The Crow. I was it was a project that I was writing for many years. It was my little pet pet project, and no one would actually let me make it because it was just it was a little bit too out there for Hollywood, you know. Um, and uh, you know the crow did uh, very well at the box office, and therefore uh, everyone was calling me in the wake of that that uh, release, asking me what I wanted to do next. And I kept saying Dark City, and not many people uh, were, were wanted to, to to hear that. Um, but eventually, I did get uh, my chance to to, to make it. Um, and uh, you know, it, it's. Uh, it's, it was something that I that I felt very strongly about about making a story that I really wanted to tell, um, and it is it is definitely uh, something that has achieved um, uh, a, a, a strong following based on how unique and original it was. It's a phenomenal film. Thank uh, you. Was it good to be back home making movies uh, with local talent? Um, yeah, it was. It was. Um, <clears throat> You know, I, I live in Sydney and, and I like working here and uh, uh, I think we do, we, we have great uh, film filmmakers here and um, I, I very much enjoy making films 
um, here and driving home at night and sleeping in my own bed rather than some house that's been rented for a period of time <laughs> or some hotel room or whatever, wherever else filmmakers end up staying while they're making, um, making a movie. Um, and, you know, so, so it's, it's very important, I think, that we support uh, filmmaking in Australia and that's how this ups and downs. I mean, when we made Dark City, there was very little support from the, uh, the, 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 the government or the state in terms of uh, tax rebates. And uh, now we're in a much better scenario, um, but partly because so many other uh, territories around the world have, have realised that it's actually a great economic um, benefit to them to 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 drag the runaway productions to shoot in on their home turf. Mm. Um, I think once other other territories like Canada, for example, um, and many others now around the world discovered that notion, then the Aussies finally paid attention to it. Um, it's it's unfortunate that it took it took them that long to understand that, but it's um. You know, but it, but it, but it's um, it, it is helping movies now, as I say. You know, and um, we, you know, you know, in those days we used to rely on the on the the Aussie dollar being low. You mm. know, if the Aussie dollar was low, then we could convince the studios to make movies here because they were getting an extra an extra bang for their for their buck just based on the exchange rate. You know, well, no. we we can't rely on that as an as an industry. So. No. Um, uh, hope, fortunately, now we're not having to do that that as much as we were. Uh, Garage Days was your first real Australian film uh, since uh, Gremlins and Clouds. I always felt as though there's a film missing somewhere uh, in your filmography uh, as part of a trilogy of sorts to cap off The Crow and Dark City. Uh, but after revisiting Garage Days recently, I realised that uh, I may be wrong. Is Garage Days it or is there another film in there yet to be made? Uh, no, no, well, I, I don't know that I, I see the Crow and Dark City as as part as related as as strongly as you do. I, I see Dark City and Knowing is much more related than the Crow and Dark City. That's very interesting. Um, yeah, and and uh, and and if that's a question you want to ask, then yes, there is another movie that is part of that of that so called trilogy of. It's not really a trilogy. It's a, it's a it's a it's a like-minded genre. Let's call it. Yes. <laughs> let's yeah. Call okay. It. Um, and uh, that's that's the one that I'm currently working on at the moment. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, it's called the it's called the night uh, the the new country, um, and it's based on uh, uh, a, a sort of a time travel concept time travel dash parallel universe concept um but it's it's stylistically probably the closest i've come to to dark city in, in, in and it's um to the point where i've sort of I'm, I'm kind of in the same mindset i guess as when i wrote dark city in many ways uh so i think it's um i mean i'm you know i i tend to get very excited about projects that i'm working on because Otherwise, I wouldn't. I'd stop, I'd stop working on them. But, <laughs> but uh, I'm really excited about this one. I think it's a. I think it's a great, 
a great story. It's a very, it's a very powerful story emotionally. Fantastic. Uh, I'm very excited for it. Um, in my opinion, your, your, this is a personal opinion that I'm, I'm going to say here. Uh, your best three films are the ones that you've written, directed and produced yourself. Uh, and going by some of the comments you've made across social media lately regarding studio interference on some of your other films, uh, would you agree with that? Uh, is that fair uh, to say? No, because simply because um, I, you know, I get cheated out of credits quite often, as all filmmakers do. Um, I have written a lot more than what I'm credited as writing. Uh, so, for example, you know, um, uh, Gods of Egypt, I probably wrote 50% or more of that script. Uh, but the way the, the Writers Guild of America works is a director coming on to someone else's original script, unless they write 60% or more of the finished work, um, and this is a very simple rule, it's actually much more complicated, the arbitration process is much more complicated than this, um, they don't get credit because we're considered, directors are considered what they call production executives, which is kind of putting us in the same category as studio people, which seems a little bit unfair, I have to say. <laughs> um, so that's fine. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not bitter about that particular situation. That's fine. That's, that is what it is. Knowing was very similar. Knowing uh, Stuart Hazeldean and myself collaborated on many, many drafts. He wrote many drafts on his own, but at, at a certain point, the, the WGA looks at the number of writers on a project and says, you know what? There's too many people trying to take credit. We're just going to give it to the first three people, you know. And this is development that took place before I was even involved in the in the in the movie. So, you know, though we changed it, changed the entire script, rewrote everything about it, um, reconceived it philosophically on every on every level, neither of us get get credit as writers. In that case, I was particularly upset about that for Stuart's sake because I'm the director and the producer so I still get my, my name on screen mm. he, he is completely shit out of luck basically you know he's, um, he doesn't get any credit for all of his work and that's extremely unfair but that's, that's Hollywood for you that's the, that's the guilds and the, and the process that, 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 that works you know um, so it's very confusing for someone like yourself to look at my my illustrious uh, filmography and and make those sorts of sweeping statements because the truth is far more complex than you would believe well wow alex thank you for clearing that up i'm sure there's a lot of people out there who will find that very interesting well you know hollywood is an interesting place <laughs> uh, with irobot you've said that uh, speaking of hollywood you've said that uh, the fox regime at the time was was toxic how does this affect you mentally as a filmmaker to have people around you who don't trust your vision? I mean, does it make you less inspired to do the best job you can? It's very hard to maintain uh, your sanity, let alone anything else in that situation, <laughs> over the many, many months of working on a movie that you really believe in and you really want to make the best thing possible. I describe it as, it's like if you, it's like I'm running a marathon, and which is hard enough as it is, and I want to win that marathon, Otherwise, I wouldn't be running it. And the, then the studio executives line up on, other, on either side of the, of the road and they throw chairs under me every time I go past them, you know, 
trying to trying to mess me up. So it's kind of self defeating because the guy running the marathon wants to win anyway, and you're just making it harder for him. So just let the guy try and win. You know, he's going to do the best job possible. He doesn't need you to throw chairs under him. You know, mm-hmm. um, so it is. It's a. Very, it's, it makes it very very difficult. And in that particular instance, and I've had. You know, it's not my only experience of studio interference. It was just one of the worst. You know, um, you, you you know. It, it's it was touch and go whether I actually wanted to be I actually wanted to stay in the movie you know the only thing that got me through was actually strangely enough uh, my cast Will Smith in particular who's a joy to work with and and he made it a pleasure to to work with with him every day you know and um, and you know I I, uh, I think that's that's something that the the studios find uh difficult to comprehend but but it's that's kind of the way it is you know uh, so the the release of your latest film gods of egypt uh, has led you to vocally express your dislike of uh, the film critic uh, which you've publicly called uh, deranged idiots and uh, deceived vultures is there a... <laughs> did i okay you did uh, is there a uh, is there room in today's modern world for for the film critic well you know my 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 criticism of the critics in the case of Gods of Egypt is really not to do with the way uh, their, 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 their role in the world, you know. And I've never ever, you know, I've had bad reviews. I've had many, many bad reviews over the years on many projects, you know. And I honestly don't, I honestly don't care about that. Um, you know, if someone doesn't like my movie, I don't care. There are plenty of other people who do, so it makes no difference to me. And I'm actually making a movie to please myself first and foremostly so i'm really the only arbiter of whether a film has has worked or not um which sounds terribly arrogant but it's the only way i can i can work as a filmmaker you know um in this particular case in gods of egypt's case the they i I believe that the criticism was, was coming from an incredibly dishonest place i believe the way it functioned is that before we even released the movie, before anyone had seen it, and a, a, a minute of this movie, before any trailers or anything came out, there was a sort of a, a groundswell of protest about the casting, about what was considered to be uh, a casting that was not diverse enough. You know, I won't go into my rationale for why I believe it was, uh, short of saying that that you know. I believe that that groundswell of social media criticism is what drove the critics, the professional mainstream critics, to hate the movie before they'd even seen it. Mm. Okay, I really do believe that, and I believe their response to the movie was based on not supporting a movie they felt was was universally not liked by the audience mm. before the movie even came out. Um, I know that to be an absolute fact, um, and that's why I ended up criticising the critics because I believe that their role in that particular instance has been rendered completely redundant and dishonest, quite frankly. Yes, uh, it uh, it almost feels like everyone can get away with being a critic these days uh, if they have a social media account. <laughs> Um, do, do you subscribe to the theory that uh, some film critics are being paid off at the moment to to put films down? Um, look, I, I honest, honestly don't know. Um, that's that's one step further than what I've just said. Mm. I have no, 
I have no experience of that. I have no proof of that. Um, uh, I, you know, whether whether or not that's happening, whether or not that has ever happened, uh, who who knows? Who can say? Mm-hmm. Um, do you keep your eye on on the Australian film industry? Uh, have, have any films in particular caught your eye lately? Um, look, I I'm not the guy to ask about films theatrically released any generally at the moment, just because I don't off, don't get a, a chance to really see a lot of a lot of movies on their theatrical release. You know, I have a I have an eight year old daughter, and my my movies tend to be um, uh, you know chosen based on what she's going to enjoy um and so i get i you know i'm I'm a i'm an absolute authority on uh on the latest uh pixar or disney movie but i'm I'm, I'm not i'm not i'm not able to see a lot of aussie you know recent released aussie movies you know um i thought paper planes was okay you know i enjoyed that um (laughs) A kids movie, yeah. Uh, should local talent be getting excited about the possibility uh, of working on an Alex Proyas film in Australia, or, or would you prefer to be heading overseas for future projects? Oh, look, I always prefer working here mm. if I can, but but it's I can never answer that question. It really every production is different, and I, I never know where a movie is going to end up mm-hmm. being made. You know, if someone said we would shoot, we would shoot knowing in Melbourne, I would have gone, well, why Melbourne? But it just, that's where the production ended up for, for many uh, strong uh, financial reasons, you know. And at the end of the day, that's what, that's what determines where a film is, is made often is where you're going to get the best uh, resources to make the film. You know, it's always about, Sadly, the movies are always about the you know the bottom line and how much the budget is and all that boring stuff. <laughs> well, I'm sure there's a lot of uh, talent out there who would love to work with you one day. Uh, but Alex, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate you joining the Cinema Australia podcast. So thank you. My pleasure. Best of luck with it.